This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's Morning Bible Study. We are in Genesis chapter 15. We're dealing with Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. We're actually at a very hard, difficult, a deep passage in the process of God making a covenant with Abraham. And I think, obviously, I always want to make sure I'm not heading off in a wrong direction. Check with the, some of the old commentaries and some of the old people that have been, it's seen the test of time is the best way to describe it. People that have always, commentaries and people who've always who've written things that no one has ever had a big trouble with and, in fact, have seen it and revealed it so that you don't head in the wrong direction. It's always good in the counsel of many. There's wisdom, and it is always good to, when you're dealing with a passage, it seems it just seems, as you're looking at it, you're not sure what all it means. It's good to go to some of the older, older commentaries and see what they have to say and what direction they go in. And this is one of those passages because in verse in in God is making this covenant with Abraham or Abram, and he is going to explain what's going to happen to his prodigy. Now, uh, for Abraham, that's very personal, and it's very too. It's very. It has a great deal to do with him and his own personal walk with God and his own relationship with God. But from a general overall biblical perspective, it is a, it is of high importance because God is explaining what happens to his what happens in the world is in regard to his promises. And really it is God laying the foundation for what is going to happen and laying the foundation of the overall overarching picture of the Old Testament and God's work with humanity. And that picture is, I'm going to just give you the general outline of that picture is this. God God comes and he seeks out people who are people of faith. Mankind rebels. Mankind is in rebellion and mankind is in captivity or enslaved to sin in the world. That's just generally speaking. Man finds himself enslaved in general to the world. Now that's a picture of the children of Israel being in Egypt. And man is enslaved to the world for a long period of time. It's a long time that they're enslaved to the world. And while they're enslaved to the world, while they're in captivity and cut off from, from God, God has a plan. And he, his plan is to deliver, is to send a deliverer, send one who will bring them out of Egypt. And the way he does that is he does that in the Old Testament through Moses. And Moses is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. He's a type of Christ is one of the ways we put that. He's a person who, who is a picture of Jesus Christ coming and delivering God's people out of Egypt. He's delivering us out of Egypt. He's delivering us out of the bondage of sin in the world. Because Egypt's a picture of the world. It's not a picture of hell. It's a picture of the world. Rome is actually the picture of hell. But but Egypt is a picture of is a picture of the world and the children of promise were in captivity in Egypt. 
not in the promised land, not in the place God promised, but in the world. And as you see that story, it's important. And how does he deliver them? He delivers them by judgment on the world for its sin. And he delivers them finally by the final judgment where his children pass through the angel of death or death through the blood of a spotless lamb, which is a picture of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so then as they leave, uh, as they leave Egypt, because Pharaoh has to let them go because of that, he the, his people, the uproar, he has to let them go. As they leave from Egypt, they plunder Egypt, they plunder the world, and then they, so they have all the goodness of God's promises, all the goodness of the spiritual, and then they also have all the goodness of the world that we live in. They they actually get to experience experience the goodness of God's creation. And then they leave Egypt and they go out and the world chases them, but they pass through the water, which is a picture of baptism, picture of a public profession. Even though the world's chasing you, you publicly align yourself with Jesus Christ. Then you go out in the wilderness and in the wilderness, you meet with God and you realize who God is. That's what that whole mountaintop and receiving the Ten Commandments is a chance to meet with God and to see God and to know who God is. And then once they receive that, God directs them to the promised land and they have a lot of trouble going into the promised land because it's hard to go into the promised land. It's hard to trust God and enter into the land flowing with milk and honey, but it has giants in the land. And see, you move from God delivering you to you being the power of God in the world and you fighting the giants. <clears throat> and a lot of people, that's difficult for them to do, to address those giants. And then you take the promised land. And that's the overall, if you think about it, that's the overarching story of, of the Old Testament. And it is a picture of the spiritual things that God is doing and finished in Jesus Christ. And so when we read this passage in Abraham, God is explaining his plan, his plan to Abraham. And it seems very ominous and it seems very difficult and very dark. He says, now the sun was going down. Notice this, that's a picture of, of death, right? That's a picture of the death of this world. That's a picture of, of darkness in the world. It says, now the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Because when you're in the when you're in the grips of the world, when you're in when you're in a place where where the world has control over you, when you're in a place where you're not walking with God, when you're in those places in in those times and in those seasons of your life, when that happens in you in your life, there's a great darkness and a horror that falls over you. There's a great there's a great sense of, of foreboding and a great sense of pain and a great sense of discouragement. And in many ways, as you think about it. It is a horror. It's horrible. It's dark. It's it's lost. He says, then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. Notice they're going to go to Egypt and they're going to be strangers in the land. Isn't that true of God's people that even though we want to many times walk in the world and live in the world and act like we're a part of the world, we're really strangers in this land. We really are. We're not, we were not, we're, our citizenship is not here. It's in the kingdom of God. When you look at this, God is giving you the perfect picture, the perfect picture of how God is at work in the lives of believers from finish, from beginning to end. And we are sojourners in this world. That's the old way of saying we're wanderers in this world. And we are. He says, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land 
that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. All right. What is that saying? It's going to be a long time of affliction in the world. And we know that we've been afflicted for a long time in this world. And you who have been believers since your childhood, you have seen that affliction all around you. The world is, when David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he couldn't have said it any better about the world that we live in. We walk around the valley of the shadow of death. We're in it all the time. We're struggling with it all the time. Our lives are caught up in it all the time. And he, he says, there'll be strangers in the land. They will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, will be, will, will, I will judge. Notice God says, I'm going to judge that nation, just like he's going to judge the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. He says, I'm going to judge that nation. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. He's giving him the plan. He's telling Abraham, this is the plan. They're going to go out with great possessions. By the way, Moses is writing this and Moses is writing what has always been told that Abraham was told by God. That's the story that's been passed down for 500 years, four or 500 years by this time, maybe even long, a little bit longer than that, and at least 400 years, but it's really five to maybe 600 years. He says, uh, he says they're going to be afflicted. They're going to be servants to them, but I'm going to judge that nation. And he says, afterwards, they shall come out with a great possession. Now as for you, you shall go to your father in peace. Notice, he says, you're not the one, one of the ones that's going to go into Egypt. You're not going into Egypt. Why? Because he's at the end of his walk with God. He's at the he, he's at the place where God's going to give him what he promised, and he's going to go home to his reward. Abram is not going to go into Egypt. Was in Egypt already. He was an Ur of the Chaldeans. He was not the person that that anyone would have expected to be God's called man. But God called him out, and he came out of Ur of the Chaldeans, came out of the world, and went to the land that God had promised. Abraham's already been through that cycle. He knows that cycle. But what God's saying is your people, my people, who I've promised to you, they're going to go through that cycle. And let me tell you something. Ever since that day, ever since that day, and ever since the children of Israel went into the 12 tribes of Israel, went into, the, into Egypt, and eventually into captivity, and uh, were brought out of Egypt, that process has gone on in the lives of individuals ever since. That process is the process of God. We're lost in the world. God sends a deliverer. We're, set, we're, we're, we're redeemed out of the world by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. We identify with Christ in baptism. That's our public profession of faith. We meet with God. We learn about God. We grow. And then all of a sudden, what do we do? We head to the promised land, and that's a process that all in and of itself. And that's the end of the life process. That's the process where we become mighty in the kingdom, and our names become mighty, and we walk with him. He says, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers and your father in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And what he's saying is, is listen, in four generations, I'm going to bring them back out of here. And the land that you're in right now is your land. The land is controlled mainly by the Amorites. And by the way, when they come back, they, they attack all those ites when they get back. But the Amorites are the ones that were primarily in control at that time. And in that, and God said, I'm going to judge them and I'm going to give you their land. But you need to hear this. I'm not doing it now. And the reason I'm not doing it now is because their wickedness, their iniquity 
is not being complete. What does that mean? They're headed down the wrong path and ultimately they're going to end in destruction. But that destruction is not fully, is not full yet. It's not complete. And when we get to that area of completeness, remember God's a long-suffering God. He's a patient God. And the Amorites, although they were wicked, they, their wickedness had not reached the level where God was going to destroy them. It's, it's a similar story when Jonah went to Nineveh. It's that Old Testament idea of people that have left God, the people that have, have become wicked, and God giving them a chance. It happened. It'll happen with a lot in the next chapter in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God giving them a chance to find even one, 10 righteous men, and then that doesn't work. And that process goes on with God dealing with the world all the time. And that's why nations rise and fall. Is The nations rise and fall. They rise, a lot of times they rise on, under the right reasons and the right purposes. And then, as always, wicked men get in power, and that wickedness grows, and the people grow wicked, and they break the break ties with God. And eventually they spiral into darkness and uh, their wickedness reaches its fullness and God destroys those destroys those nations. He, he destroys those those places. And that's been going on for generations and generations. You say, that's not true because we got nations that have been around for a long time. Yeah, we do. And they're not in the same form that they are today. They're not the same nations that they are. If you look at a world map and one of those timeline things where it changes everywhere, you realize that even the oldest nations in the world have not been China. It's not the same nation today that it was 100 years ago, 300 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Its borders have changed. The dynasties that have come about have changed. It's not been China as we call China today. It's not been China for that long. Neither, ha neither has jolly old England. We used to talk about England being the sun never set on the, the British Empire. It does now. And and their holdings are very limited compared to the depth and the breadth of the holdings in the past. And you could pick any nation anywhere, anytime, any place, and they are not the same as they were before. And uh and if God carries another hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred years, they won't be the same as they are now. That's the way that's the way the world operates, and that's the way God made things to be. And the reason he made things to be that way is because he judged the, he judges the iniquity of the nations. He does that. Now, now in the times we live in, he deals with people individually, but God still judges the iniquity of a group of people and the iniquity of areas, and he brings calamity on them because of that. And if you don't think that's going on, you, you just really don't have a strong grasp of history, and you don't have a strong look at what the way the world, the way God is at work in the world around you. And let me tell you something. I love my country and I love the United States and I love the truth it was founded on. And I love that even though there were, that as every nation, even though there were issues and problems with the nation that is out, we have fought to do some things to correct those things. And we fought to fix some of those issues. Not all of them have been fixed. But the problem is that in the midst of fixing those issues, Mo we in many ways we've left our first love we've left god and we've chased after godlessness and we've chased after uh, depravity and we've allowed ourselves to kill innocent the innocent shed innocent blood and we've allowed ourselves to to be in, involved in all kinds of decadence and all kinds of issues like that and as well as i do i know it you're you're out there in the world and you see it and the struggles and the difficulties and the troubles of this world are so real and so around us and and we are in the process of slowly sinking into that judgment ourselves and that's the natural instinct of the world but god is 
as he always is, as he always has been. He's at work in the hearts of individuals. He's at work in the people of promise. And that's who God's talking about when he's talking to Abraham. He's talking about the people that God has promised him, the chosen people, the people of his promise. And uh, he's always at work in the people of his promise, too. Even though God's dealing with the world as it is, God's dealing with you most of all. And uh, his plan for you is for you to be delivered out of the world and to know him in the in the wilderness and then to walk in that power in the fullness of his promises in the promised land. That's the picture of the Bible. That if you said, let's just give a 10,000 foot view of God's word, Old Testament, New Testament, Romans and Hebrews, tie them all together with Genesis and the prophets and, and poetry and all that in the Bible and the history in the Bible. If you said, Come out, let's go out to 10,000 feet and tell that story. The story is people are in bondage and sin in the world. God sends a deliverer. He reveals himself to them and they choose to walk with him. And that process begins the process of salvation. And then God, um, God sends them into the promised land and empowers them with great strength and his love and his purposes. And they begin to learn how to walk among the giants and defeat the giants of their lives. And they see the goodness of his days and they see the prosperity of his promises. And they live to a, they live to the day that God has planned for them to pass away and they pass into glory, glory and they're glorified before him. And, and God is glorified by, the, by their lives. That's the 10,000 foot plan of God. There it is right there. It's an easy plan. It's easily seen. It's seen in Genesis. It's seen in Revelations. It's seen in Matthew through John. It's seen through Acts, the history of the church. It's through it's seen through Romans all the way to to Third John and Jude and all those books. It's seen it's seen all throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's seen through the histories, and it's just all throughout Scripture. That's the plan of God. That's what God's been doing. He's been doing it since the beginning. He's doing it now. What a great plan he has. Am I right? What a great plan he has. And we're a part of that plan. You are too. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name. Amen.